welcome to Season 3, Episode 6 of the Your Money Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Peter Sashecki, President of the Everything Financial Group. As I said, Episode 6 today, we're going to work our way through the Omni Formula like we've been doing the whole season here, step by step. What is the Omni Formula? How it's put together? And today's episode is titled Meet the Portfolio Managers, which is a really exciting episode which will really show you what we do and how we bring a portfolio manager in to help design the investment side of your financial plan. So without any delays, let's get right into it and meet three key portfolio managers that we use to help design the Omni formula at Everything Financial. So let's get into this. We're going to welcome our first guest in the portfolio management segment uh, here with the Your Money Personal Finance Podcast. Today, it's Jeff Gruber from Dixon Mitchell. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks, Peter. Great to be here. So we're going to put you on the hot seat today. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> don't be scared. I don't bite. So first thing what we'd like to do is, is part of this is educating the public on the different portfolio, portfolio managers we use to do our financial plans. So tell us about Dixon Mitchell, the history of Dixon Mitchell, and just give us the lowdown, the skinny, as they say, on Dixon Mitchell. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, so Dixon Mitchell's been around for 22 years. It was formed in the year 2000 by Rob Mitchell, who at the time was the chief investment officer for, at the time, BC's largest insurance company. And, uh, and it was at that time that he decided that he was going to take the institutional caliber approach to managing portfolios to the private wealth space, to high net worth individuals. So, so we started Dix Mitchell in 2000. We are today 35 people um, with clients across Canada, but really focused in Western Canada. So we have our head office just down the street uh, on West Hastings at Burrard. We have an office uh, also in Calgary. And, uh, and in terms of assets, today we're, today we're managing uh, just about uh, $4 billion in assets. And, uh, and that splits roughly 50-50 between the private wealth side and the institutional pension uh, endowment side of it. On, on, the private, uh, on the private wealth side, that works out to be uh, about 1,300 different households that we work with. And you know, if you, if you think about a, a typical household with two spouses, you easily have two TFSAs, two RSPs, non-registered, maybe a corporate account. So you easily get uh, six to eight different accounts. And, uh, and for the most part, most of our clients have all of their investable net worth with Dixon Mitchell. Now, of course, you don't need to, but um, you know, with your guidance and, uh, and, and advice, we can do some really neat things in terms of making sure that the right assets are in the right accounts and really make sure that uh, it's as efficient from a tax point of view as, uh, as possible. We are completely independent, so we're completely employee-owned, and uh, we're con- continuing to grow. So on the private wealth side, just so people are clear and they, and they learn from this, that would be like what you do with us at Everything Financial, where we build a financial plan, we refer a client to you and, and Dixon Mitchell, and then you design the portfolio. That's correct. the private wealth. That's the individual household side. Correct, correct. And the institution side is you guys building portfolios and banks, who said that word, it just <laughs> gives me the willies, banks or... or uh, later in this segment, we actually have one of our other portfolio management companies coming in, uh, Provisus Wealth Management, and they're, they're an institution then that they 
represent or they invest money in your portfolios and that's the institution side. And, and that allows people who don't really have what you, the minimums because your company, and I, and I talked about this in earlier episodes about portfolio managers we use, each one has a different shelf space for us in a sense of what their minimums are. And, and that's good because I that on that institutional side is where I see Pervisis and they go, oh, we're going to put some of this client's portfolio in one of the Dixon Mitchell, Dixon Mitchell, see, easy for me to say, <laughs> Dixon Mitchell portfolios. I get excited because I go, I know that company. We work with that company. Yes. I know what they stand for and I know our clients are getting good representation and good management. So it is available to everybody, really. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, um, so we sort of broadly d- define institutional as uh, oftentimes if there's a separate investment committee that's involved in, in the management of that uh, of that portfolio. Um, a lot of our a lot of our clients on the private client side do have corporate accounts. So a lot of them are entrepreneurs, and so they'll they'll have a holding they'll they'll have a holding company as part of their overall household assets, but that's not considered an institutional account. It's really, um, you know, we, we manage money for uh, publicly uh, traded mutual funds for um, large Canadian pensions and, uh, and for other large endowments and trusts. When you say pensions, it kind of brings me into this idea is, and we, and we talk about this, sometimes a little techie for our clients, but it's part of the way we choose. So what would you, what would best describe the style of management that Dixon Mitchell incorporates? Yeah, so Dixon Mitchell would be described as a classic stocks and bonds investment manager. We are um, we are definitely a buy and hold investment manager, and we use what they call a bottom-up approach. So if we take a look at some of those terms... Sounds like a drinking term yeah. <laughs> I used to do on Friday nights way back when. Bottom Bottoms up. up. Bottom yeah. up. <laughs> Bottom up versus top down. So, so top down is where you're really focused on what's going to happen in the economy or what's going to happen in the stock market next. So that's, you know, when are we going to go into recession next? When's the next market downturn? You know, the, the, the fact is, is, is that nobody can consistently time the market. Nobody can consistently predict the market. balls uh, don't work? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Right? So, um, so what we do at Dixon Mitchell is the opposite of top down which is we focus you know, the vast majority of our time and resources on a bottom-up approach. So the bottom-up approach is, is focusing on the individual companies and focusing on where we really can add value. And that's looking through the financials, pouring through you know, the, the, the different light items of revenues, um, costs, you know, what, the, what the management team is, is seeing on a going-forward basis, what kind of risks are there, and, uh, and really figuring out what, um, what the company is all about and what its, its future prospects are. That made me think of a couple things. Um, when you said time and, and not timing the market, and that's one thing I talk about all the time to people, isn't the most important thing time in the market, not yeah. timing the market? Yeah. I mean, and, and when you said about the companies you choose, and I've, I've had this conversation because it seems more than ever after COVID, I don't know why, and, and maybe it's always been there and I haven't noticed, but the conspiracy theory people going down those dark tunnels on the dark web have come out of it, you know, all over the place. And, you know, there's always someone predicting the crash. Like you get these people who predict a crash every single year 
And then in 08, they were right. And all of a sudden, they they, they, they tout it's that the as... the broken clock <laughs> being, being right once. Uh, yeah, and then they make their day. book and they make their money and so on. But... But we had, um, you know, when I listened to you and and listened to some of the other portfolio managers in our office and saying to people like, yeah, we can't predict the market, but people are still going to buy. People are still going to buy their new cell phone. People still buy running shoes. You know what I mean? Yeah. People still go on holidays. And and I, I call it meat and potatoes investing, where you stick with the bread and butter, the meat and potatoes, the basics. There's certain things people are always going to spend money on, yeah. right? Yeah, and there's a great uh, there's a great story talking about timing the market. There's a great story that I sometimes share with uh, with clients, and that's about a study that Fidelity, the big investment house, did uh, a number of years ago. And so Fidelity, Fidelity in their um, you know do it yourself investing platform. Um, notice that there was a group of investors that were consistently doing better than the rest. So the group at Fidelity said, well, let's find out what's going on. What is this group of investors doing better or differently than the rest? And what they found out was that group that was outperforming forgot that they even had an account at Fidelity. So in other words, everybody <laughs> else that was trying to time the market, trying to get in. And you can't get out, time the market, I know. What you, what the people that did best were the people that forgot that they had an account, didn't touch it, just left it. That reminds me of an analogy then. People, investing, remember it's part of your overall financial plan, <clears throat> but investing is like a bar of soap. Hmm. The more you handle it, the smaller it gets. Yeah, and I love that. And it's actually a great segue into uh, one of the other things that I talked about uh, in terms of describing our style, which is buy and hold. So um, Don't wash with it, though. Just hold it. Right, <laughs> right, right. And there's so many different things that, uh, that, uh, that you lose when you're constantly touching your portfolio, when you're constantly transacting within it. And, uh, and of course, you know, some of those are just the transaction fees and the commission fees that you're paying. But one of the biggest ones, and ones that I know that you're always uh, hyper-focused on, too, is the crystallizing of gains in specifically in non-registered accounts. So, you know, our approach is definitely a buy and hold type approach. Um, if, you, if, you, if we were to look at the numbers about um, 20% of the portfolio gets turned over per mm -hmm. year. And so that includes rebalancing and right. those sorts of things. Um, so another way of looking at it is, is our average holding period per position is about five years. And we've had positions uh, like Johnson & Johnson that we've held in the portfolio since since day one and have held uh, for, you know, obviously very, very extended periods of time. I'm a fan of Johnson & Johnson. They stuck me twice a few years ago. <laughs> As we all know <laughs> what was go. going on. <laughs> there you go. I happened to be in the States working out of my office there when all that stuff happened. It's like, okay, stick a needle in me. Yeah. But it, it's interesting you said, and I just want to help educate people a little bit and, and, and jump in if I don't get this exactly right. But what does rebalancing mean? And, and, and people, when we do our, our Omni Formula financial plan, and I talked about, we build the plan, the portfolio manager then looks at what we're doing and builds a portfolio um, to look after the client that fits the plan. So when Jeff talks about rebalancing, and again, if I get a little off, but let's say a, a standard average, let's say the average portfolio is 40% fixed income, 60% equities, and they're all over the place. That's your guys' department. I'm not involved at all in choosing anything. I just say, need an RSP, need a TFSA, or whatever the case may be. You figure out what goes in that. So what is the normal rebalancing? In other words, if the equity market goes through the roof because we're now finally recovering, it grows much faster when it does grow. 
over fixed income. So if that 60% becomes what, 65, 67, what's the magic mm-hmm. number in a portfolio? Mm-hmm. Because you do buy and hold where you'll go, where Dixon Mitchell will go, okay, we need to sell off some of those equity things, those holdings, and buy more fixed income so we get back to the 60-40 because I know you you guys have discretionary powers. In other words, you can trade the portfolio whenever you want, as much as you want, but you have to keep it within the client's risk level, right? Is that correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah. And, and and it's... Um, and you actually nailed it. So our, oh, okay. our threshold for me, our threshold is 5%. So in, uh, in the case, and it's actually regardless of what the asset mix is for a client, we use 5% as once their, their maximum equity exposure, which is what we're really focused on because mm-hmm. that's the more volatile that's the volatility, of, right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. So once, once that uh, breaches 5% on the upside or the downside, and I've, I've got uh, an interesting example on, on the downside for us. Um, but, uh, so if that's 60, 40, client with 60% of their portfolio in stocks was at 65%, that would be our trigger to rebalance it. And the reason why we use 5% um, is that it, it's it's a good balance between not rebalancing too much because, again, mm-hmm. that bar of soap is going to lose something right. every time we touch it. So when the markets move and, you know, are, are potentially going to have a, um, you know, a move over a period of time, we want to make sure that we capture as much of that as possible. So we don't want to rebalance it right away. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's certain periods, um, you know, over the course of a market cycle where you can get, you know, one to 2% moves a day and you don't want to be rebalancing your portfolio every other day. So, so we find 5% tends to be a pretty good, uh, trigger or, or threshold. Um, and it works the other way too. So, you know, that 6040 portfolio, that 6040 client in January of 2020, well, by the end of March in 2021, <laughs> COVID hit. Their what portfolio, was that? COVID? Don't even remember that. Yeah. Right? Blocked it out of my mind. <laughs> that portfolio, uh, that 6040 portfolio is now about 50 50. Right. It, the market right? went through the seller in six weeks. And so in that case, it was actually the bond part of your portfolio that went up in value. And so our approach, uh, because again, that was one of those periods where markets were moving very rapidly and you were having, you know, or 5% moves in a day. And so, um, and, and so as, as part of that, and that's a really big part of being a portfolio manager is, is having that systematic approach and that systematic application to managing the portfolio, even in times, and especially at times where it literally looks like the, the world is falling apart. And so, um, and so we had uh, a systematic way of rebalancing the portfolio every, every Friday um, if portfolio was 5% um, out of whack. And so, you know, we were literally um, within, and this is partly by luck, but also partly by design because it was part of a systematic process. Mm-hmm. We were literally selling bonds while they were up 10% and, and using the proceeds of those bonds to buy equities that were down 30%. Yeah, and look how quick we didn't know the world was a shit show, right. how quick it recovered. And we, we saw that a few months back too, as we went through that horrible drop in September of 2022, um, where the market dropped right back to where it was pretty much at the end of June, early July, 2022. And then October, you have the best single month since what, 76 or something like that. And all of a sudden you guys are probably on that Friday doing more rebalancing. So you, I mean, and that's why I, I explain this until I'm blue in the face to people 
This is why if your port, if your person, people who's doing your financial plan is not using a portfolio manager, that's exactly why they should be. Because if you think as a planner, you're smart enough to do all those things, you're not. People, I can't do that for you. That's why I checked my ego at the door many years ago, reached out to portfolio management companies and have them do this because we have a staff designing financial plans. We don't have 40, 50, 60 team members managing portfolios. That's not my expertise. Well, and I, and I also think, um, I also think uh, it, it's an interesting um, case study for people that were managing their own portfolios, right? Because there's a lot of people that, um, that are using ETFs. Well, they're all great that, when the market's good. <laughs> and, and it's pretty easy, right, when the market's going up. Everyone wins. But, you know, when you look back at, you know, at, at March of 2020, if you were managing the portfolio yourself and you were literally just, you know, managing it off the side of your desk because this is not your day job and, you know, you've never actually gone through a serious downturn and, and it always there looks... There a stretch there. Everything was gold. Right. So, you know, for, for, for people that got out of the market at that time and then decided to get back into the market, maybe, you know, towards the highs or at the highs over the last year or two, and now having the markets back down. I mean, you know, talk about, um, you know, what's the value added of a portfolio manager and, uh, and of working with uh, a financial planner. It's really making sure that you're following their, those goals and, and that you've got that professional systematic approach to, to managing your portfolio. It's funny because I talked about that in episode five when we were doing the episode about why choose a portfolio manager. And I, and I was teaching people to ask the questions. And that even goes back to episode um, one this year when I was saying, what are you getting for your money? So when you're out at the bank and your mutual fund person is getting paid, but they're providing you no service. And I said, people, they have nothing to do with what's inside that <laughs> portfolio, but they sell it like they do. Right. You're not paying them for that. If you're get, if you're getting paid, if I'm getting paid, cause I get money from you guys, the referral fee, you charge a fee. Part of that fee goes to everything financial group. I better be doing something for that money other than just saying, Hey, put your money with Jeff Gruber and Dixon Mitchell. That's right. I have to provide the plan. So it's, it's getting value. And that's where I just see it that I just don't get it. You know why people don't. And one of the other reasons I went to portfolio managers years ago and started doing that. And one of the key things is active management. So I think mm -hmm. you've kind of explained it without using that word, but I use that word in, in TV shows and everything all the time when I'm on air and tell people, look for someone who's actively managing your portfolio so to the layperson out there, just, you know, logging in and looking at this on their computer, what really is active management? Yeah. Yeah. So probably the best way to describe active management is to describe the opposite first, which is passive management. And so passive management is where you're essentially investing in an index. Right now, you can't actually invest in an index, but you could invest in an ETF, an exchange traded fund that mirrors or tracks the just index. copies the market. Right, right. Yeah. And it's so, always a day late and a dollar short, isn't right, it? Right, right, right. <laughs> and uh, and so you know how are these how are these indices constructed? And you know when we look at the largest, most popular, most widely followed um, equity indices in the world, they tend to be market cap weighted indices. Right? And so what that means is that, and so for example, probably the most followed equity index in the world is the S&P 500. And that's a market cap weighted index where it takes the 500 most valuable. 
now, right? So market cap is the value of the okay. company. So it takes the 500 most valuable companies in the United States. So well, that's for say, the whole world. Just ask them; they'll tell you. Right. <laughs> so let's say you buy the S and P 500 ETF. Now, your entire portfolio is based on a single criteria. Right, you 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 have yeah. exposure to these five hundred stocks, but the there's only one thing that your that 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 was considered that was used for inclusion in your portfolio, and that's the value of the company. So the value of the company, and of course that's the value of the company today, or, or in fact even probably you know a week or it's probably a date or two. somewhat, yeah. Right. So, um, in other words, your entire portfolio is not considering at all the future prospects of that company. It's not considering the profitability, the future revenue, um, the amount of Yeah, maybe they invented a new widget that's going to revolutionize cell phones like we've never seen or or whatever. Right, right. So so it tells you nothing about the future prospects of of the company. So I I sometimes think of uh, passive investing as taking a pass on doing any sort of fundamental research or any sort of research into it at, at all. So, so if that's what passive investing is, active investing, which is what Dexa Mitchell does, is actively analyzing and researching the company's fundamentals, pouring through the financials and, and, and understanding exactly what the business is about meeting with. We, we meet um, you know, well over 100 different management teams um, in, in, a, in a typical year, making sure that we understand what the prospects are, what the risks are for the company, and making sure that um, you know, we've got a really good handle on the upside and the downside um, for, uh, for that company. And actually, there's a really... There's a, a really interesting story about uh, passive investing and in, in, uh, in equity indexes in Canada because if you look at the TSX, over the last number of decades, the largest company in Canada, the, the most valuable company in Canada, has typically been the Royal Bank of Canada. Mm-hmm. No big surprise there. But every once in a while, there comes along a company that's more valuable than the Royal Bank. And if we look at that history and we go back to, you know, the, the year 2000, um, we have Nortel. Nortel. <laughs> we have REM Research in Motion. Right. That Valiant, was BlackBerry people. <laughs> right. Valiant Pharmaceuticals, which is probably um, a company that a lot of, uh, a lot of our v- viewers, uh, a lot of your viewers wouldn't, uh, wouldn't recognize, but was more valuable than Royal Bank of Canada just, you know, a, a number of years ago. And of course, the, the most recent example has been Shopify. And if we look at Nortel, RIM, and Valiant, they've all gone to zero. And they've all, right? yeah. They're, and they're Shopify, no- Shopify is a more recent example. It's, it's been down 85% from its highs. But so the takeaway from that is, if you would have been an index investor at any one of those periods, at the high, when, when that company was, yeah. the, was the most valuable company, the largest position in your portfolio would have been that company, and that company would have gone to zero. Yeah, and you're, and you're screwed. In a matter of, of, of really a short period of time, like typically two years in, in those examples. Well, that, so you say institutions. So people at big institutions, and I see this all the time, and I think this one's an easy one for you. They tell, they spread rumors out there all the time that, and I always use the short-term portfolio manager, technically investment council planning model. But anyways, they say your money's not safe going to these independents, going to these portfolio managers. Now, that's not true. That's just a scare tactic, right? Because I've talked previously about custodian. Mm-hmm. I, so they just use that as scare tactics, right? 
Yeah, to be honest with you, I've never come across that. But oh, I've it, seen it lots. It might be just because if uh, if we're considered the competition, they don't say it uh, in front of my in front of my company. But I mean, I think it is an interesting um, opportunity to talk about how portfolio managers, how firms like Dix and Mitchell work on the back end. And so um, when you become a client of Dix and Mitchell, you're really becoming a client of two different institutions. You're becoming a client of Dix and Mitchell for investment advice. That's what the, the council part of it and investment mm-hmm. council is. But you're also becoming a client of a custodian. And a custodian is right. just um, the entity I call it the that vault. is... Right, the vault, the, the 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 entity that's holding your assets, right? So it's, it's so picture like a bank, right? And uh, and so what happens is you deposit or transfer your assets into the custodian entity, and then you give Dixon Mitchell written authorization to make investment decisions on your behalf. But the money stays in the pot. But the money stays the there, <laughs> and Dixon Mitchell does not have authorization to transfer you know, your entire portfolio and its assets to Dix Mitchell's right. own account. So, I mean, you know, I, I sometimes describe, imagine in a worst case scenario where you show up to the 16th floor of the Guinness Tower um, in Vancouver, the, the, the headquarters of Dix Mitchell, <laughs> and there's literally nobody there. Well, your assets that are at the They're custodian... Right. Your assets that are at the custodian, and you know, we use several different custodians, but uh, National Bank being one of them, one of Canada's largest banks. So you've got, um, you know, one of Canada's largest banks and all of the infrastructure and IT and security. And of course, they're, you know, Canadian Investor Protection Fund uh, secured. So you've got all of those safeguards around your assets, um, similar to working with any other major institution, financial institution in Canada. Okay, let's wrap this one up with the big question of the day. Don't blow smoke up my you-know-what. <laughs> but for our listeners, because like us, we choose clients, we interview them, we want to make sure we're a good fit. Right. So why do you guys, why did you agree to work with Everything Financial mm. and myself? Well, Peter, we've been working together for just over five years. And actually, I love the story that um, that uh, describes how, uh, how we connect because um, one morning, one of my colleagues came into my office and said, you know, I was driving in and uh, I just heard this guy, Peter Sashevsky, oh, talking, uh, talking on the radio and he was doing a financial planning segment and uh, he's doing some really neat things. You know, you, you should you should try and get a hold of him. So so I got you on the phone and uh, and you said, you know, Jesus is so funny because I was literally just speaking to one of my financial planning colleagues the guy and they I went were to high school with, about, yeah. right and there and and he was just talking about all of the great things that you guys are doing at uh, at Dixon Mitchell but you know I think uh, I think the the reason why um, the relationship works so well is because uh, you know you're so focused on the big picture the 30,000 foot um, strategy right and, and, and it's all about reducing taxes because that's the one thing that you have control over. And, uh, and then Dixon Mitchell on the other side is, is, is really just part of that, executing that one part of the plan and just making those day-to-day investment decisions. So, um, you know, I, I think we're both um, really doing well at what we specialize in and where our expertise is, and, and I think it works uh, really well. Well, I want to thank you for your time coming in. It wasn't nearly as scary as you thought, yeah. was it? It's not that bad. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. You know, um, great information uh, for you people listening and viewing in and, and logging in uh, to everything financial on YouTube. Uh, I want to thank Jeff Gruber, Dixon Mitchell for his time. I know our our clients love him and his firm and what they do. And, and it's not about rate of return. It's about education and the strategy 
that fits our financial plan strategy. So now that you've done it, hopefully we can commit to having you come in again and we'll go over a different topic next time. Absolutely. We'd love to. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Yeah, on Meet the Managers, now next up in the hot seat is Janice Souden, Vice President of Connor Clark and Lund. Welcome. Thank you, Peter. It's not that scary. No. It's going to be good. Okay. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you anything that you hopefully don't know already know the answer to. <laughs> good. Um, I'll make you sound really smart or you'll make me sound really <laughs> dumb. It could be that too. So just to give us a bit of background on, C, we're just going to say CCNL from now on, people, because I'm not going through the whole diatribe or the long, you know, the whole name. But give us the origins of CCNL and kind of their history and the, and the growth of the company. Sure, sure. So CCNL is based here in Vancouver. Uh, the company was established in 1982, started off working with big institutional clients. Um, over time, we found that the executives of these institutional clients wanted to invest money similar. So in 1997, we developed um, an offshoot called uh, CCNL Private Capital um, in order to bring this pension-style asset management to individual clients. So at this point, we manage about $100 billion, which makes us one of the largest independent privately owned investment firms in Canada. And we have many different asset classes under our umbrella, which brings us significant scale in order to create really well diversified portfolios for clients. So I, I do like one thing when you said about the hundred and something billion, billion with, with a, a B. B. Yeah, it's a, it's a big number, but since we've been working together a while, quite a few years now, but what I've noticed is, and this is kind of where everything financial being the little boutique, I mean, I say little and I keep saying that and people remind me we're not that little, but, but we want to make sure we keep those roots of being run like a small, uh, independent boutique firm who's really looking after the client's individual needs. And that's what I see with CCL and that's the service we've mm -hmm. received over the years. I know you're big. I know you do huge investing for pensions, but the attention to detail to the individual is important. Yeah, absolutely. We don't meet with a client and then hand them off to someone else who hands them off to someone else. We retain that relationship from day one and we build this trust relationship over time working with people like you. It's like that funny bank thing when people go in and they go, oh, wait a minute, you now have 100,000. We're going to take you to this person over here. Oh, no, no, you're 250. We're going to this person over here and make them wonder, was the other person like, not have a clue of what they're doing that now I get advanced to the other person. Exactly. And with you guys, it's, it's the same person, that's philosophy, mm -hmm. et cetera, all the way Absolutely. along. So, I, I mean, I know your history cause you didn't always work at CCNL, mm -hmm. but what's been your history or, or your opinion on people in your position? We've had uh, Jeff Gruber from Dixon Mitchell. We're going to have Chris Embridge from Pervisa's Wealth. But your opinion on why it's important for advisors, why you work with advisors, but why advisors should work with people like yourself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I've personally worked in this industry for almost 30 years, and I've seen all levels of advisors. But the best advisors, in my opinion, are the ones that really focus on a client's overall financial plan and not just selling a product or focusing on one different area of their, of their financial world. Um, so collectively, when we can work as a team with other, with clients, other trusted specialists, um, and help clients with all aspects of their financial investments, uh, financial plan. Investments are just part of the overall equation. A good advisor 
And Peter's a good advisor. <laughs> Gold standard, I would say. Just my opinion. I didn't pay her. My opinion, working with hundreds and hundreds of advisors across the country, a good advisor will be the quarterback, kind of like a, a general practitioner. So you go to your GP to have a snapshot of your overall health, and your GP will bring in specialists with, to help with specific areas like a cardiologist or a pediatrician, very similar to, to us. We are the specialists. Peter, a good advisor, would act as your GP overseeing absolutely every part of your financial world. So this next one um, is going to be that I really, I, I, I've heard you explain this and I, I think you're really, really good at it. So, but this is a real general thing we're going to talk about because I don't know, how many mutual funds are there in Canada? Like 8 billion oh, or something? I mean, yeah. it's, it's insane. The number, it's exponential growth. It's, it's always changing. Um, so we can't be specific, and, and we wouldn't do that anyways to, spit, to pick out a specific mutual fund. But there's a, there's a really big difference in management, really, not just fees. I'm going to get into that in a minute. But there's a big difference between portfolio management and mutual funds, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So a mutual fund is a product. It's an off-the-shelf product. Portfolio management is a process. It's a relationship. Um, So mutual funds aren't necessarily a bad thing uh, in themselves, but when a portfolio manager works as part of a team, like we were just talking about with an advisor and other specialists, we can achieve much more than just finding the best product or in some cases, as you know, has happened, um, the product that provides the highest commission to the salesperson. Um, Portfolio managers are fiduciaries, which means that we are legally required to put the client's best interest first. So when we're building a portfolio, I am not incented by adding any different type of investment. It is all the same. We have no vested interest. We're just here here to build the best portfolio for that specific client. Yeah, I did an, ar- I did a, an article. I'll show about that one of our um, um, previous podcasts, too, when I talked about portfolio managers. Kind of what came first, the chicken or the egg? The plan comes first. Absolutely. Then the portfolio mm-hmm. comes in to complement the plan and That's work right. with the plan. But but sticking on this theme of fees here, what's the what would I mean? There's I'm sure the list is a mile long, but just again for the lay person, the basic. What would be some of the the basic differences between portfolio manager fees and mutual fund fees? Like maybe you can get into maybe how they're calculated because we can't really say what they are, but you kind of can use an average, I guess. Sure. So mutual fund fees have really evolved over time because mutual funds haven't been around, relatively speaking, for a a tremendous amount of time. Um, So when they were initially introduced, they paid a very hefty commission. Um, That's changed over time. Now there are different ways that mutual funds can be uh, charging fees, and it's not always transparent, and it's very difficult for the average person to walk into whoever, wherever they're, they're uh, XYZ mutual fund XYZ company. Mutual fund exactly. Company. It's really hard to pick apart exactly how that fee is charged, when it's charged, is it transparent? Often I, you know, will get people saying, well, you know, my mutual fund advisor charges 1%. And we know that that is not the entire picture. So it's hard to pull that apart, even for us in the industry to take a look at a statement or a prospectus or um, something that's online, it's very hard to pull that apart. Um, portfolio management fees are much more transparent and they'll be outlined by the manager. So when we're talking with our clients, 
we're very clear this is what the fee is if there's specialty asset classes which are can be more expensive we disclose that right up front because that's part of the conversation um, on top of this portfolio management fees can be much more um, offer more ability to be tax deductible right Unlike mutual funds, yeah, yeah, exactly. So trick question, maybe. It's not really. How many of your fees are hidden? None. Everything is up front. Yeah. So we lay it out in, I don't know, six different places. So it's on the introductory um, conversation with the client in writing. It's, you know, slide number five, I think. Um, it's in the recommendation portfolio. It's in all of the paperwork. And we review it over time. So... You know, if, if clients have questions and they want to see exactly how it's broken down, we can go through that very clearly. It's also on every single quarterly statement, front and center, and we can address it if ever there's there's a question yeah, about it. It's a funny one because yours are on, they're recorded, they're on there, and I just kind of laugh nowadays because there's this thing called CRM2, and I'm not going to get into all that, but but it's, it's it was a start where mutual fund salespeople had to show their trailer fees. Mm-hmm that they're earning, which is fine. That's, that's disclosure. That's a start. That's good, right? Except mm-hmm. some people are telling the public that that's the only fee. Yeah. No, that's the trailer commission, which comes out of all those other embedded fees, right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. part of it. So I want to just talk a little bit about white labeling, but from a more generic point of view, and we talked, you mentioned the word institutional. Um, Jeff Gruber was here from Dixon Mitchell and talks about their institutional side of their business mm-hmm. and yours is private capital. theirs is called private wealth, but the same idea dealing with advisors. And I know your products are available. You can go to different institutions and it'll say, uh, I might get the wording like wrong, but portfolio managed by CCNL or portfolio mm-hmm. managed by Dixon Mitchell, mm-hmm. but the big institutions banks, um, have, their mutual funds a lot of times are white labeled. So what is that mm-hmm. in a, in a general term, what yeah. does that mean? So white labeling um, is when a product or service removes the brand and the logo from the end product and instead uses the branding requested by that institution. So, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but what it does is it um, it's not quite as transparent. It's not quite as custom um, it adds an additional layer of involvement, which often ends up costing more. But you also, I guess, might get the salesperson picking mm-hmm. a, your product, mm-hmm. which again is not a bad thing, but the product they pick might not be the right product for that person, but they picked it because the CCNL or XYZ portfolio manager white labeled product might have had what they perceive as a really good year and they like the number. Yes. So that's definitely a challenge that I've seen in the industry is advisor, advisors. I use that term. Loosely, I know loosely. Loosely. Salespeople chasing returns. Yeah. Um, fund picking and rate chasing. Fund picking based on past performance. And it drives me crazy. I even saw, I saw an ad just recently during this market downturn um, from a big institution and across the screen said performance matters. Well, of course, performance matters. But I past, thought size matters. Yeah. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> past performance is not for sale. Right. It's a track record, a long history, 
a well-diversified, customized portfolio and a track record. Um, I also heard somebody say recently that um, investing is like a bar of soap. The more you play with it, the smaller it gets. I did use that one, actually. There I know, you go. It's I great. think that's a great saying. It's true. It the is. more you handle it, the worse it's going to be. Exactly. I know. It's, it's well, it boggles my mind, but that's why we try and say to people, you know, again, we let's talk about this white labeling, not really talking about it, but I'll make a comment on it. And I say this all the time to people. If the person you're going to see designing your financial plan isn't using a portfolio manager, ask them why. Why would you go to white labeling? Why would you go to an institution where they strip out yours or someone else's name, add in a bunch of their own marketing, add in this, embed some fees, go to a financial advisor, go to your registered financial planner who goes to you directly, cut out the middleman. Mm. Go right to the source and get the basket or what the mix of your products that fit the person, not the one that's the only one of yours they have on their shelf. Cause out of all your products, they might only have one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Cause I don't, <laughs> I don't go and do my, my investing part of my plan with the banks or institutions, but I have seen it on statements that mm-hmm. have come across my desk from clients. So something that I, I, I really do, like with your company and, and where you fit on our space, if you will, um, when we're doing our plans for our clients. And, and it's not for everybody, what I'm about to say. We know that, but it's something your company's really good at. I think, I think in my opinion, you you manage this and do this better than everyone, better than anyone. But what are alternative investments and, and how can the person doing a plan really benefit from those? Sure. So alternative investments um, officially are a financial asset. The definition is a financial asset that doesn't fall into a conventional asset category, like stocks and bonds or cash. Um, Alternative investments can include things like private equity, hedge funds, which are not really scary things. Hedge funds are not always Bernie Madoff and Wolf of Wall Street. Um, There are some very good hedge funds out there that hedge risk out of the market. Real estate, infrastructure, even collectibles like art, Um, and antiques, which we don't do, but those are considered alternatives. So these are just asset classes that might be more difficult to find. Um, They sometimes are more difficult to invest in because of their complexity, their different structures. Um, And it's it's difficult. If you're looking at buying real estate, often the individual will go out and buy a condo or a blueberry farm or one uh, single piece of property versus a very well diversified yeah, portfolio. Maybe buy a, of, a little suite in office yeah, complex or something. Exactly, exactly. And instead, when you're investing in an alternative um, portfolio of private market asset classes, you're including many different types of real estate under one roof managed by a single manager who is an expert in that area. Well, there you have it, people. She has spoken and hopefully you've listened, but I want to thank you for your time. It wasn't that scary, was it? No. Um, But the idea was just to give people insight in this part of meet the managers of when we, and and you've sat through hundreds of these where we're building the financial plan and it's, and we've got the financial plan, the framework designed. And now we bring someone like yourself in and go, okay, now I have to build a portfolio to match that plan. And, and you guys do a great job. The service from your firm is great. And I like it that, you know, the majority of our clients are, are here in BC. I mean, we do have clients all over, but I, I will say this without sucking up. 
Janice and her team will go anywhere to meet our clients at, at pretty much any time. Available 24-7, kind of like we are. Um, and, and that's what you, you're doing in a financial plan. It's not about a product. That's right. It's about being there, creating solutions. So thanks again. This is two years in a row Welcome. now. We've managed to rope mm-hmm. you in coming in uh, to Your Money Podcasts. And now you're committed. Now you have to come every year. So we will be getting you back. So thanks for your time. Thanks, Peter. Welcome back, everyone, on our Meet the Portfolio Manager segment. Our next guest is Chris Embridge of Provisus Wealth Management. Welcome, Chris. Morning. How are you doing? Doing well out here in the beautiful west coast of British Columbia, but I know you're in the center of the universe there in Toronto. Um, At least you guys have a hockey team this year because we don't. So let's dive into it. Um, we've we've known each other a long time now. We're we're getting close to a decade. Um, so for our viewers and listeners on the Your Money podcast, why don't you give us just a, a bit of a history about the origin and the history of Provisus Wealth Management? Okay, uh, Provisus has been around since two thousand and seven. So we started the firm just before the uh, crash of two thousand and eight. Thankfully, uh, we got through it very quickly and very well, both for clients and ourselves, and managed to continue on and uh, grow now for 15 plus years. Um, We started as a firm that exclusively works with advisors such as yourself that allows us to bring third-party, separately managed accounts to uh, clients that normally wouldn't have access to uh, some of the best money managers in the country. So I know we're going to get into that a little bit later. but uh, And we started humbly and smallly and have grown over the past 15 odd years uh, to we're just slightly below a billion dollars in assets. So not the biggest, not the smallest, but we deal uh, with clients uh, exclusively. So we have no pensions, endowments, uh, no institutional money. It's all working with clients uh, who need the specialty management and services we can provide. Uh, to that end, and it's worked out very well, we've been growing roughly about, in terms of us as a firm, about 17% per year in terms of overall assets. So I guess we're doing something right. You are doing something right. I mean, I don't, I don't understand sometimes why, I say this all the time, you know that, why people who call themselves advisors don't we deal with portfolio managers? And I said this just in an earlier episode last month, but if when you're interviewing for your financial planner, advisor, whatever term they want to use, if they're not dealing with a portfolio manager, ask them why. Because to me, maybe I'm a little naive, but it makes no sense because you are, uh, as a portfolio manager, and we'll allow you to explain this and correct me if I'm wrong, you are a fiduciary. So maybe you can explain what that is and why investing with a fiduciary is so important. The term, I mean, it has many different meanings. It depends on what the industry is. But in the financial industry, it's both a ethical obligation and a, um, I guess, what we call it, legal obligation in the sense that we have 
as a fiduciary and uh, portfolio managers are that and certain for, uh, individuals, depending on their designations and educational standards, have a higher standard. We have to put the client's interests before our own. So that means we are doing and building portfolios that are exclusively uh, tailored to the client's individual situations, requirements, risk profile, income needs, whatever the situation is, because no two clients are the same. Everybody has their own different uh, level of assets. They have their own different level of account types and tax situations. So what we're doing is putting together portfolios that are custom made and tailor made for clients. If you look at the hierarchy of uh, individuals and registrations in this country, portfolio managers are the only ones that actually have a fiduciary responsibility. Uh, mutual fund salespersons, insurance, stockbrokers, they do not have a fiduciary responsibility. Their obligation perhaps uh, doesn't put the client front and center, whereas we do. And that's one of the reasons why clients, uh, I like to think it better service, better performance, better reporting, all those things that should at the end of the day make a great deal of difference for clients and certainly the advisors they work with. Well, and th and that's one reason I guess I don't understand why everyone doesn't do it, which I'm going to get into in a minute. But as, as we explain to clients all the time, and I know when we work together is we had everything financial as registered financial planners, we design the plan and then you and your team at Previsis are able to design the right portfolio to fit the client's needs and basically fit uh, the plan. So that what gets me into with Previsis, the portfolios you design. So how many different managers or, I mean, a way to explain it to people out there, how many different things can you pull off the shelf when creating a plan? Um. In the Canadian marketplace, there's hundreds of portfolio managers. Everybody has their specialties. Everybody has hopefully some skill set that allows them to uh, give clients the service and the results they're hopefully getting. We're a little different in that sense that while we do do our own security selection, we do manage our own portfolios, select stocks, bonds, uh, REITs, ETFs, depending on the situation. We also recognize that we can't do everything well. So what we've done is set up a business that goes out to some of the best money managers, in our opinion, in the country. And we have 12 external uh, portfolio managers. These are firms that are not affiliated with us other than they're uh, contractually bound to provide portfolios and maintain them and report on them. But they bring something special to the table, something that we couldn't build in-house. Just to put it in perspective, those 12 managers manage in excess of $200 billion. So that's a size and a breadth that is hard to put in one place. And in order, in a lot of cases, to get to these money managers directly, who they do take clients, you need to be a billion, or sorry, a million dollar client. Well, with us, the dollar amounts are considerably lower. Um, so that allows us to bring in portfolios that are I would say custom made for each client, whether they have a $25,000 TFSA, a small uh, RESP, we can take all these small accounts and build custom portfolios that um, meet those clients' goals. And that allows us to work in stock and bond portfolios, ETFs, pool funds, custom made for that client's um, resources. 
in one of our earlier episodes, we had, two episodes ago, we actually had uh, one of the gentlemen from Dixon Mitchell actually on, and I know that's one of the companies you're you know referencing there that you use is Dixon Mitchell. So you have a lot of great portfolios. The uh, and if I explain it, if I'm wrong, that's why you're here. The Pervi- the Pervisus branded investments, if you will. But so I get from what you're saying is they cover a large area, but then you have these external managers to fill in the blanks, I guess. Right. So we have specialty small cap managers. I mean, that's a area that you need a great deal of expertise to find securities that are going to go up in value. We have global equity managers that exclusively go around the world looking for companies and stocks that are different than what we can normally resource and find here in Canada. There's specialty bond managers. For example, one of our bond managers was just, uh, it was just announced they were rated the best bond manager in the country in the past year and three years. So these are the types of managers that, you know, you would need staff of dozens of portfolio manager uh, internally in order to replicate what they do. So for us, outsource, go and find the best that you can have, bundle it together, put together a bespoke portfolio, picking managers from here and there and everything like that. So So, so by default, then you are doing the fiduciary duty because you don't have it. So rather than say, you know, oh, well, let's just put you in this, it's close enough. You really do care about the client because you do outsource to fill in the blanks, which is perfect. And we do have, I mean, our regulatory oversight is exactly the same as all of the other portfolio managers. We just choose to outsource portions of our responsibility. It doesn't mean we have any less uh, legal or fiduciary responsibility. We just go and get the best. It's quite simple. Perfect. Well, we're going to ask you to explain one for me that came up recently a couple times. Some people haven't heard this, some have, but it's it's happened the last few months where you get people at big institutions saying, don't go deal with those everything financial people or, or don't really, they say, don't go deal with these portfolio managers because I advertise about them a lot or talk about them a lot. They say your money's only safe at the bank and with mutual funds. But there's this thing called a custodian, which helps protect people. So maybe you can exactly explain what a custodian is and why this, I call it misinformation of saying your money's not safe with with someone like Previsus. Why is that misinformation and how does the custodian protect the client? Um, Yes, clearly um, people were misspeaking, shall we say. Um, we use custodians. We use third-party custodians. In this case, it is a bank, financial institution, Laurentian Bank. So clients' monies are just as safe uh, at Laurentian as they would be at any other bank or mutual fund. The reason this is necessary is it's a separation of responsibility. Everything financial has their piece of the pie. Provisus has their piece of the pie. And then you have this third party, which is Laurentian Bank. They hold the client's asset. They are the official book of record. They provide insurance and safety, uh, protection from theft and misplacement of assets. Their role is central to uh, the process. For, for example, we cannot exist as a portfolio manager unless there is a third-party custodian. And part of our mandate from the Securities Commission is such that we're not allowed to touch clients' monies. 
So the monies only can go from the client to the Russian bank. So there's never a check or any deposit made into a Provisa's account or an everything financial account. So there's that level of safety. The only places monies can go is between the client's bank of record and the Russian bank. So anybody that's saying otherwise is blowing smoke. Scare tactics. Well, with the information you've given about a custodian, the customization of a portfolio with your your own Provisa's portfolios, but also third-party portfolio managers, the the amazing responsibility and disclosure and transparency and that of being a fiduciary and, and doing what's in the client's best interest. Now, I have my opinion on this one, and you know me, it's a pretty strong opinion. But why don't all advisors use portfolio managers? Because one question I have, just kind of a sidebar to that is, we know it's not because you have to be a million dollar client. We've already, you've already made that clear with smaller accounts. So if that's, if using someone like yourself and portfolio managers is in the best interest of the client, why wouldn't all advisors use portfolio managers? That's a question I keep asking myself practically every day as we go out trying to introduce ourselves to other advisors. I mean, there's many reasons. The, the way the uh, financial industry in the country is organized, precludes it. Um, we have to have special agreements with firms that allow us to operate with them, uh, referral agreements, they're called. And, but really, it's the way the industry has evolved over the years and where it's situated now. Traditionally, advisors did everything themselves. They were a one, a two-person shop, and they tried to bring everything to the table. Um, as you know, obviously the world is getting a little faster, um, more complicated. It's hard to keep track of everything that's happening, especially when you have many clients, uh, with different goals and objectives. What it means is there's going to be specialization. There's going to be need for bringing people to the table that have a particular niche and deliver upon that, whether it's financial planning, estate planning, taxes, insurance. Wealth management. If you can bring those specialty individuals or organizations together, you have a stronger solution. Really, I mean, when we talk to advisors, and we talk to quite a few over the years, um, the word we keep using is inertia. Advisors have been doing one thing, one way, their entire career seems to be working for them. Why even consider doing anything else? Why even spend couple hours trying to learn and grow your business well it's the best thing i ever did but i have a theory three things ego they don't want to take their hands off the wheel they think they can do it better which i know clearly they can't i think ego is one i think i think the other one is fear and what i mean by fear is most advisors in in air quotes here don't do anything. They, they don't provide any service at all except picking a mutual fund or putting a, a basket of mutual funds together and completing the paperwork. I, and this may be, I'm cynical, but I think it's the fear that they'll figure out that or the client will figure out that they're actually not really doing anything for their money. And the clients will realize, well, if I'm not getting a value added service, tax planning, estate planning, a full financial plan, why do I really need Jane and Joe advisor? That's, and, and the other one is 
laziness. They don't want to make, I, I know when we, we transitioned our business to portfolio management, you know, over a decade ago, it was a long task and a lot of paperwork and a lot of, a, a lot of legwork. There's a lot that goes into it. And, and that's my third one is I think it's laziness. I just don't think they want to put in the time. But even that's changed too, because, you know, technology has evolved. Everything's digital now and COVID was a terrible time, but it did uh, accelerate certain regulatory um, processes. We can do everything over the phone and digitally and signatures. And you don't have to have void checks anymore for identification. Everything can be scanned or uh, images taken. It's a very simple process for clients, uh, for advisors. Once they get the hang of it, they can be very efficient. They can focus on what they want to do as an advisor. Just like, um, you know, I think clients have appreciated it because, A, there's more information with a portfolio manager. There's more safety and security. There's more diversification. And I'm sure there's thousands of mutual funds out there, but I cannot practically guarantee you there's not too many clients that know one mutual fund from the other and know what they want. So they're going to a mutual fund salesperson who's selling them a portfolio that maybe meets their needs. Who knows? They have their custom portfolios. But in this day and age, there are so many options and alternatives that shouldn't you as a client look for the best that you can get and go from there. I think so. And I think, as I said before, when you're when you're going out, we did a segment on the questions to ask when interviewing for uh, your advisor, your planner, whatever name you want to apply to it. And I said, one of the key questions is ask them if they're dealing with a portfolio manager. First off, if they're not, ask them why. Second off, have good shoes on and run for the door. Um, because it's no longer like it was, well, you said 07. So pre-07, when I started looking at portfolio managers, there was really like in, in the earlier 2000s, you had to have a million dollars from all I could find. And then as the world evolves, and now it's companies like yourself who will allow a person to come in off the street starting out, there's no excuse not to use a portfolio manager, in my opinion. And And you guys do... A phenomenal job. Are we all doing our job? Do we all get our job perfect every day? No, that's part of that life. But I know with your company, our company, the other companies we use to fill our shelf space with portfolio managers, they're always evolving, always learning, and always making sure they 